You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And uh, we're back. I feel like it's been a little while because, you know, life and stuff. Pandemics and (laughs) work and kids. Civil unrest and and social injustice. and There's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now that sucks and um thank god for movies thank god yeah man it's been it's been rough lately i haven't really had much time to watch movies as we'll find out soon enough in our next episode (laughs) on when Um, when we do our 60s episodes and you're like i saw three movies that i've seen before do those count (laughs) (laughs) i've seen i've seen a a, a, well yeah not many yeah we'll uh, (laughs) we'll get there uh, but yeah, thank God for movies because they are—they're kind of my saving grace right now. It's—it's it's been nice to be able to just sit down and tune out for a little while because man, and during the day it's been—it's just been depressing, man. Yeah, depressing. And I don't mean to start this super super. Hard. Well, it's interesting that you're starting it with how depressing things are because the movie that we're talking about tonight isn't exactly a bright spot. It's not like a a heartwarming. Uh, like uplifting tale of of hope Heart and redemption yeah that's not what we're going to be talking about at all we're talking about like like death and loss and grief and trauma and uh, and uh, yet another movie that i watched before things had like gotten as bad as they are in the world right now and it makes it even more relevant and whew, yeah uh, so yeah, tonight we're going to be talking about. We'll have fun talking about it. We we will. This yeah. <laughs> as soon as I watch this one, you know what? Let's just let's get into this. Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about the droving. But before we get into that, uh, we had a couple of announcements that I almost forgot. Uh, the first one is because we are still in the middle of a pandemic. First off, wear your damn masks. Good gracious, people! If you leave your house. It's not for you. It's for literally everyone else. Be respectful. Wear a mask. Be safe. Care about fellow human beings. Even if you don't like them, they might come in contact with someone that you do like. So please, for the love of God, <laughs> do everything that you can to slow the the spread of the stupid fucking pandemic. Wear your mask. Just be respectful. <sighs> I can everything you just said. I mean, it's so easy. Like it's like in uh, I don't know, man. I'm not gonna get into it. But yeah, wearing a mask, it's not that bad. 
No, it is just, like it is. It is literally the least that you can do to put a piece of cloth over your face. And if you're like, they're restricting my freedoms, just pretend that you're like an old timey Western bank robber. Like, just pretend that, that you're roughing it out in the old West. Like, <laughs> get so, a bandana, wrap that thing around your face, and seriously, do like you're playing out a bank robber at a in a cowboy movie. I don't know why I said cowboy movie. Something to 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 just please try to slow <laughs> this pandemic. Uh, yeah. Okay. So because we are still in the middle of a pandemic, uh, many of the businesses that we love are struggling. And one of the ones that I wanted to highlight on, uh, on this episode is central cinema because they are a small independent movie theater and even like big chain theaters are quite possibly going to be shutting down some of their, um, uh, not some of their franchises. They're probably going to be shutting down some of their locations. That's just a reality. I don't think that movie theaters in general are going to die, but I think that specific ones might. And we've already started to see that with uh, like some, with some theaters closing and with some like video stores closing. Um, but with central cinema and not just because they're one of our sponsors, but because we genuinely love them. They are a very small independent theater in Knoxville, Tennessee, and they are having to kind of go back and forth with whether or not they are allowed to be open or, you know, whether or not it is responsible to be uh, open. And mm-hmm. and they are playing things like very, very safe. They have a very strict um, during the times that they are open. You must wear a mask. They limit it to a certain number of people. So, like, they're doing everything that they can to follow CDC guidelines and, you know, maintain a business during all of this. Um, but as numbers continue to rise, then obviously whether or not they stay open, um, I, I think currently they're having to close back down for a little bit. Um, so during this time, please support them. You can go to centralcinema865.com and, and they have a virtual shop. You can buy a membership, gift cards, koozies, stickers, t-shirts, um, or just, you know, contribute money to them to help them stay afloat. And when this pandemic started, I saw one of those posts going around about, you know, when uh, when it's time to like go around businesses asking for like those five dollar donations to help support whatever it is that you're trying to do actually return the favor. You know, like how many businesses have contributed five, ten bucks here and there to countless organizations and and countless other uh, like raffles and be a decent human being and give back to those communities and back to those uh, businesses that you say that you love. So, so yeah, with central cinema, please go there, contribute, donate, buy something, help them stay afloat because we love central cinema a a bunch. I, I I don't want to see anything happen to it. I would, I would be sad. I would probably cry. Honestly, like I would probably legit shed a tear. I know if, if they closed, when I when I lived in Johnson City, there was a second run movie theater called Real to Real R E A L to R E E L. I think um, that that's one of the ones that actually it closed. This, it, it did, yeah, no, it did. They closed down, and it breaks my heart because it's like it was this great tiny little two screen theater. It had so much atmosphere. They had like movie scenes painted all over the walls and old posters and things, and it was so cool. And it was the first movie theater that my kids ever went to to see a movie. 
Winsaw Monsters University when we lived there and uh, they did like uh, ETSU Student Film Festival there and it was so awesome and even though I haven't been there in years and I probably would have never had a chance to go back um, just because I don't live close to there anymore, it still really broke my heart that that just great little independent theater had to close down because of everything going on and it had been there for 40 years. Like it was a staple of the community and it's now gone, which is sad. Yeah. It's going to be rented out for uh, like they're talking about strip mall or some kind of thing now, which Ugh. is just sad. <laughs> that breaks my movie loving heart. Uh, yeah, oh, no, it's so, it's so awful, and it was like a dollar theater too, so all the movies were cheap and uh, was, yeah, and. Yeah. For, any, for anyone listening, um, please do not misinterpret what we are saying. We are not saying disregard health and public safety to go to places to, quote unquote, keep the economy open. What we're saying is during this time that we have to do everything that we can to stay safe, find alternative ways to financially contribute to these things that you love to help stay open. Um, so, so yes, please go to centralcinema865.com and visit their shop, buy some shirts. I've got one from each of the Knoxville Horror Film Fest that I've attended. Um, I've got, <laughs> they've got one of Nick Cage's face. I want to say that it's from uh, Face Off. It, it might be from a different one, but that's the look that, the, uh, that I see. And that's actually the shirt that I was wearing when I found out that I was going to be having a second kid. So that shirt has like a very emotional that's attachment really? for that's me. So yes, it is. <laughs> I, I tried to recreate the face. Uh, when, uh, so, so like Nick Cage. It. The, yeah. So like uh, my wife and I have a picture saying, of me looking like at. His, yeah, we, we have a, a picture of reacting. me looking at the results and I'm trying to mirror his his face. Um, yeah, so, so support Central Cinema. And speaking of that Nick Cage so shirt, that's also the shirt that, um, oh, dear Lord, why? Anthony Cousins. I was like, I better not forget Anthony his name. Cousins. Yes, Anthony Cousins was wearing that shirt during his Q&A of uh, Scare Package at the Chat Film Fest uh, during one of those live events. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a nice little segue to mention the fact that scare package is now on shutter. And if you do not have shutter, you should go get shutter for many reasons. But one of those being to watch scare package, a horror comedy anthology that gets the horror, right? It gets the comedy, right? It is, it, it is exactly what horror lovers need right now. A lovely scare package to, yes to give some sense of enjoyment in this shitty, shitty world. Yep. <laughs> Am I starting things on too uh, much of a downer? I'm laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because I don't know what, how else to react anymore. <laughs> I mean, we, we could... Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. But we could talk okay. about a number of other things. We could talk about how... People turn on our podcast to maybe, like, lift their mood and all that stuff. <laughs> So yeah, okay. but we're we're getting some things out of the way on the front end. Um, yes. All right. So we should probably actually get into the actual movie. So again, tonight we're talking about the droving uh, put out by Rubicon Films, and this is one that. Well, I, I I was about to say how I felt about it, but that's literally the point of the podcast. So I'm gonna wait <laughs> to say how I felt about it. <laughs> 
if this is the first episode that you're listening to, uh, we're going to go through what we typically do on our reviews where we talk about the prior information that we had about the film and how it shaped our expectations, uh, what we thought of the movie from a technical standpoint, what we thought of it from an emotional standpoint, how rewatchable we thought the film was, and who we recommend the movie for. All right. So with that being said, uh, Eric, do you want to, to start out with the prior information or do you want me to kick this one off i know that typically i toss it over to you for that but for this one as well as the last one that we did with butterfly kisses uh-huh. i i assume that your prior information is almost exclusively built off of me so so yeah did- yeah pretty much so, uh if you want to like nothing means anything anymore so why don't you go ahead and <laughs> you go ahead and kick it off for us <laughs> We've completely destroyed all of the structure. Uh, yeah, this, this world is okay. So, so much like Butterfly Kisses, uh, this is a film that I. And Butterfly Kisses was the one that we covered on our previous episode. Um, I actually knew nothing about the droving. Uh, I got a, a message on Twitter from Rubicon Film saying, "Hey." would you like to check this movie out? And I love movies. So I said, sure. And uh, honestly, there's always a little bit of hesitation when someone says, Hey, we check out this movie because of course I want to check it out. And like, of course I enjoy talking about movies, but there's always that fear of what if I say, yes, I'll watch it and talk about it on the podcast. And then I hate it. I I really hope I don't hate things. Um, (laughs) And spoilers, I did not hate this movie. Uh, it's it's very enjoyable. And I don't want to say enjoyable because it's not necessarily an easy watch, but it's a very good movie. Um, but captivating. When, yes. When I tried looking up information about, uh, about the droving to get a sense of, all right, so what is this movie even about? Looking at IMDb, the description just says a man returns from the military in search for his lost sister who mysteriously went missing around the time of a strange traditional festival called the droving. And looking at the um, the the poster for the droving, it's got a, uh, a sort of not really a, a Renfair feel, but like a almost culty almost just like folk festival type uh type feel to it and some dude in a wolf mask Mm. on the front and so i i really didn't know much of what to expect but it was at least interesting enough and enough of a sure that's going to capture my attention um so yeah i i honestly did not have many expectations uh actually no let me let me correct myself the one expectation that i had was that this movie was going to feel very culty like i was expecting um you know like hereditary or midsummer or wicker man or like i was expecting a very very heavy cult component driving this movie and we'll get into whether or not that was accurate in just a minute um but yeah like that kind of was all of my expectations i didn't have much going into this movie and maybe that's a good thing i think mm-hmm. i think yeah, so. i think it definitely helps to not really go in knowing too much about it um because ultimately even like i guess even if you look up a lot of like if you look up a synopsis for it it still doesn't really give you a good idea of what the movie is which i think is good um but yeah so when I, my prior information is 
you texted me and was like, hey, I got our next movie. We're going to do the droving. And I'm like, what the fuck is the droving? <laughs> so I look it up and I see that poster. And to be perfectly honest, I'm like, shit. Because that poster is not my favorite, to, sure. to, be, to put it nicely. the It's super weird because like the way that the dog mask looks is, I don't know, it's just really bizarre and kind of fuzzy and just weird looking. And I was like, I don't know what this is, and I don't know if I want to know what this is. But it's weird because when you actually get to that scene in the movie, it's actually really creepy and well done. I don't know why on the poster it doesn't work for me, but um, I think but anyway, yeah. So at first I was just oh, oh go ahead. No, no, no. So because it directly relates to the poster, I think that the reason why is um, so many movie posters have that just sort of floating head, you know, where like it has like the main character and like their head is just floating over top of if it's a romance over the two people kissing, if it's an action movie over something exploding, you know, like there's so much of the uh, sort of a loss of the artistic movie posters and, and it's become just a ominous head floating over top of, of a scene and the droving poster has that, but in a way I also kind of love that about it because it is using a, a sort of uh, standard movie poster feel, but the person that you see floating over top of the scene is not the main character. And the scene that you are looking at spoilers matters, but it doesn't. And so, so I kind of love that. Honestly, I think part of it is just it's a dog's face and it like sort of looks like it's supposed to be evil, but it also looks a little absurd. Like it's kind of it's kind of got that effect where like, you know, if you're when you were taking a picture with an old digital camera and if you move, it kind of like works your face a little bit. Sure. Like the face, the mask. First of all, you don't even know that it's a, you can't really tell it's a mask, um, but it like is kind of warped looking. I don't know. It just looks kind of like somebody took a picture of it with a digital camera and it warped it a little bit. So it just kind of looked a little cheap to me. I don't I, want to focus think, too much on this. I think set. you and I are looking I, at two yeah. different posters. Cause I don't think that it has that look at all. I don't know. Maybe it's just me then. Um, anyway, I was, I kind of went into it being like, okay, I'm not really sure what this is. I don't know. If I'm going to like it. I don't really want to be watching it because I have a lot of other movies that I want to watch, but I'm going to give it a shot and uh, see what happens. And honestly, from the very first shot of the movie, I was like, okay, I think I'm actually in because to segue into the technical side, this movie is gorgeously shot and the locations that they use are incredible. Um, like they've just got like these big sweeping vistas. It's shot in Cumbria, I believe. I, I don't know. If the, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. Cumbria, Cumbria in England. Cumbria, I don't know. Cumbria County. Um, and man, what a beautiful, just an absolutely gorgeous place. Um, there's so many great establishing shots in this movie that just immediately kind of, they're just kind of transfixing. Uh, and so I was like, okay, okay this is actually, I can tell already that this is a competently made film, so I'm going to give it a shot. And um, yeah, dude. Speaking of establishing shots, like, all right, we we do need to say this here. We are going to get into spoilers with this movie, especially when we get to the emotional side of it, because like the uh, 
the the majority of the stuff that I want to talk about is the last like 20 minutes of the movie. So we are going to get mm-hmm. into major, major, major spoilers. We're going to do our best to keep those spoilers until the emotional side of things. Um, there might be a few that we touch on during this technical side. Uh, so let's go ahead and sort of do what we've done on on a few of the movies where we know we're going to get into major spoilers and go ahead and say this movie is i think a very solid movie that absolutely needs to be seen um we'll get into the the details about it but Uh yeah it's um it's not as action-packed as you might be expecting and my expectation of it being very culty there is a cult element but it is not a very heavy cult element we'll get more into that in the emotional side. Um, but it is a, it, it's a slow, but deliberately paced movie. It's brisk. It's only 80 minutes long, but it, it feels so much grander than that. Like it does not feel like an 80 minute yeah. movie in a good way. It feels like you've gotten so much more out of it. <clears throat> yeah, I completely agree. I am. Um, it, it's interesting. Cause you mentioned it. Like you kind of talked about how it's a cult before you saw it before I did. And you'd mentioned it's like, it's a cult movie without the cult sort of. Um, And going into it, I was expecting it to be a bit more of a slow burn, but I think one of the things I really admire about this movie is it doesn't screw around with the mystery. I mean, the film is basically about um, this ex soldier um, named Martin played by Daniel Oldroyd, um, who's fantastic. He's trying to find his sister who went missing hiking um, in the mountains around the time of the droving, the droving festival. Um, which I'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. Um, but but what I love about it is like a lot of times when you get these mystery movies, you see there's kind of like a noirish detective angle where you run into a lot of dead ends or something. But this movie doesn't really screw around nope. with all that. Like he actually solves the mystery pretty quickly, um, which I kind of liked about it. Like it, it, it almost feels like it's too easy and I can understand how that would be a criticism that some people might have, but I like that it doesn't screw around. Like it's just, it gets straight to the point. And it's really, it's 82 minutes and it's comprised of maybe like 10 total scenes. It's a lot of really long scenes of people talking. I, but I don't know, like you you mentioned it's slow, but I don't feel like it's slow at all because it gets to the point so quickly. It's got, it peppers in a couple little action scenes. Like there's a fight scene early on in the movie between him and these uh, guys wearing the animal mask that you get on the poster. That's really creepy. And <laughs> I love that the fight, fight scene. Done love it in so the much. dark where they're illuminated by the headlights of a car and I love the sound design in that scene because it's not your typical, like, really loud punching. It's, like, really clear. Um, like, it, it sounds like an actual like, yeah. hit. It's more of just, like, slap. Like, yeah. it sounds like what a person like a actually sounds like when they get hit. It's not one of those, like, Marvel movies, like, thunk, thunk, thunk. Like, you don't get that. Exactly, and yeah. It, yeah. Okay, so when I said that it's slow, what I mean by I love that. It. It's very, like, hard-hitting and, ugh. Uh, I, I don't mean that it, that the scenes like drag on like, yes, it's brisk in the sense that it gets to the point, but it's slow in the sense that like this isn't a Jason Bourne movie. Like you're not going to see him running yeah, from place I mean, to place. And it's not a um, uh, it, it's not a touch of evil film noir where there's these like deep mm-hmm. ominous foreboding scenes where like the scene is the character like when I say that it's slow, it's more of just a very intimate character study of following mm. Martin working through his grief. And, and I, yeah. I mean, it really it. is. 
it really is just a bunch of scenes of people talking for the most part, but those scenes where the people are talking are filled with such a sense of like foreboding and dread and they escalate beautifully. Like I mentioned Daniel Oldroyd is fantastic. Like he, he, he's one of those guys that's, he's super charming whenever he talks, but then like when the facade kind of melts away and he's like, he'll be like smiling, but then like you can just get these like, there's like this just sinister undertone to everything that he says that oozes out of him. And it's brilliant. Like there are scenes where he's like screaming at people and yelling at them, trying to figure out where his sister is, but he's even scarier. I think when he's being quiet and he's just kind of like sizing up his opponent and just telling them stories about telling them folk tales or something like that. I don't know. It's just, it's really a yeah, cool and, performance. And, and he I does that, that he, a few times, but I think the one that he does with the, uh, with the hermit, God, I love that scene. Just the way, the yeah, the the way that he's able to, the way that he's able to get the information that he wants by setting just a a very simple stage of, eh, things aren't the way they used to be, and then the hermit's like, oh man, I know, like this whole thing, and it's just on on a certain level, yeah, it almost that- feels. Well, like on a certain level, it almost doesn't feel real because it's like surely people wouldn't actually give up information like that that quickly. But then I think about, you know, like go talk to, oh, I don't know anyone who anyone who's going to get pissed about saying happy holidays. And like, it's not going to take much for them to like dive into like saying really personal horrible stuff about like oh well we shouldn't have this in place and we shouldn't be doing this and anyone who disagrees with me is wrong and i'm gonna like yeah be, because again our current climate like it you, actually feels more real yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things too where if you are specifically appealing to someone who has like a very niche kind of interest like the hermit character does he's he's like big into the like okay so we didn't mention the droving festival that's kind of like lurking at the edges of this movie is this annual festival it's a real festival i looked it up in um penrith um which is in cumbria um but it's like this real winter droving festival that kind of celebrates these old kind of like the uh old world uh aspects of the area and um the hermit guy is kind of interested in those in a much more traditional conservative kind of way. It's like, oh, this is just a mockery of the of what it really means. So and he knows that going into it from the investigate investigating he did with the animal mask <laughs> group that he fights. Um and so like the way that he kind of coaxes that out of him is really brilliant where he he kind of like appeals to um that character's bias bias toward it in a way. Um yeah, just like was, I don't know, modern I don't know, I things think aren't like, paying honor to to heritage is kind of the the route that he takes. Which exactly, again, yeah, it's kind of like, <sighs> yep, it's kind of like how I hate small talk. But if somebody says, "Oh yeah, I watched this movie the other day. It was really good," then I'm immediately like so much more engaged in the conversation because that's where my interest lies. Right. Is in film, so. Uh, um, I don't know. It's great. I don't know how we managed to talk I mean, about that I, one specific thing know, for so long. <laughs> some, something um, that I do want to mention, uh, and I'm going to come back to this when we get to the emotional. You mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago the establishing shots, and I honestly didn't think about it until you mentioned that the first scene of the movie is... I, I think that it was intentional with everything else that goes on in this movie. I, I think that what they are conveying with the shot is more than just uh, an interesting 
interestingly composed shot, but the opening shot of this film is vital to, uh, to, to this movie. And I'll get to what I mean with that when we get to the emotional and, and again, I could be wrong. It could just be me reading into things. It could be me putting way more analysis on a, a simple shot that just looks good, but I don't know. I, I think that it was a very intentional, um, intentional way to set things up. All right. I just want to mention that while we were not too far removed from your comment about the, uh, the establishing shots. Mm. Um, but yeah, like the location work overall is incre- is fantastic. Like that Bothy, which is uh, basically just like a place where travelers can stay, is is what I gather. Um, it's like almost looks like it's built into the mountain, which is really cool. I, there's just a great sense of place in this movie. I think like you really get a feel for the area that they're in, and it has this. It does have this very rich, almost mythological, kind of feel to it, which ties into the folklore of the film. This is really kind of a folk horror movie, or I'm sure some people will bristle at the term horror with this movie because there's not really a whole lot of like horrifying monsters or anything like that into it. But but I do but, think that there but are man, horror it is a horror and movie. Weird. And it is so so much there's so much dread. It's like just dripping with dread the whole time. Like the whole movie, you just kind of have a knot in your stomach, just like afraid of what's going to happen next. N- but also knowing that it's not going to end well for anyone involved. <laughs> I mean, it ends well for one person involved, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, I guess that's true. Um, but yeah, let's see here. I'm trying to think if there was anything else in particular. Well, so- uh, I also like to kind of get into just to really quick, just to mention like with the locations and that kind of old world feel, old world feel, I love that the movie never really feels the need to over explain anything. Like we talks about the droving. It talks about the animal gang a little bit. Um, you know, you know that Martin is a soldier, but it doesn't really, there's not like a whole big scene where he talks about like, Oh yeah, I was a soldier in this blah, blah, blah. Like it doesn't really feel the need to hold your hand and explain every little detail to you. It kind of just allows these things to exist in the background and fill in the world. And let you let you feel it more than have to have it explained to you. I know, I like that a lot. It's it's such an unfussy movie. It, it it expects the audience to be able to follow along and understand the context, which I really love about it. Yeah, and there's one scene in particular that um, that I think is just a perfect example of that. And this does tie a little bit more into the emotional side, but um, but there's a scene where it's one of the flashback scenes and he's talking with his Mm -hmm. sister and his sister says, uh, like he's home for Christmas or, or something. He, I I don't remember why he's there. He's visiting his sister and she says something to him and he's like, Oh, well, you know, I'm here for blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, I know why you're here. It's not that it's what you bring with you. And they don't get into all of the details of all of, of everything that he's been through in war Mm. and what exactly he is bringing with him in terms of emotional baggage. It's just a very simple scene of you're bringing your trauma with you and it's having an impact on our relationship and the way that you're interacting with others without needing to have that like blatantly said of you're having a negative impact on blah, blah, blah. Like 
it feels like a real conversation. And, and that's one of the things that I do love so much about this movie is it does feel very genuine. Yes, there are some folk elements to it. There are some uh, culty elements to it. I definitely think there are uh, horror elements to it that mostly show up. Uh, it, we're going to get into this in, in the emotional uh, in terms of the, the role that the cult plays. But still, uh, like it it feels like a world that a lot of people live in and it feels like conversations that people have and it just i I think that that's one of the things that drives home some of the horror when the horror actually hits is like i feel this man's suffering i feel his trauma even though i've not been through the same situations that he has like I, I don't know. It doesn't feel like an glamorized, like, oh, war is hell. It feels like, no, his life is just rough. And God, yeah, it. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie, not because it's pleasant, but because it's so well done. And uh, Eric and I were even talking about this before we started recording. This is one of those movies that I enjoyed when I was watching it. I really enjoyed it when I started thinking about it, and I knew as soon as we hit record going into this episode, I was going to enjoy it even more after actually talking about it. It's just one of those films that that just kind of sticks with you, you know, not in a grand sort of way, but just in a once you go through this experience, you're you're going to think about it. It, It's going to have that impact on you, I think. And I do think, too, like the uncomplicated nature of the plot really lends itself to that because it makes every scene so much more memorable and kind of stand out more. Because, like I said, it's only, I mean, grand total, maybe seven, eight, ten total scenes tops. And I like that because I know, like, as much as I love film noir, almost every single time I watch a film noir within two weeks, I forget basically everything that happened other than the twists because there's so much detail and, and it's so complex. And I love just how simple this is and how it just lets those scenes play out um, for quite a while. And it just makes them stand out in your memory a lot more. And they feel even more impactful. Yeah. Um, uh, just in a lot of little details that just stick with you. One of the things that I did want to mention in terms of the, the flashbacks, which I mentioned a minute ago, I, I actually like the use of flashback flashbacks in this film. Sometimes I don't like sometimes when, when I'm watching a movie and there are flashback scenes, it's like why it doesn't fit or like it's only there to tell part of the story rather than feeling like it's a natural flow of what's happening. And like for me, sometimes flashbacks take me out of it. Not always, but sometimes mm-hmm. with the droving, it felt, it felt very, uh, it felt very natural. Like it felt like the, did I just say natural? <clears throat> it felt very natural <laughs> in terms of the the flashbacks are basically one scene spaced out during each of those flashbacks and and i i think that was the last time that he saw his sister so like it it plays like a yeah if he's on this uh, journey to try to figure out what happened to her then he is probably remembering those last moments that he had with her. He's probably remembering the the last conversations that mm. they had. And and you only get snippets of it. You don't get everything that happened in the flashback scene because it doesn't matter. You only get parts of those conversation. And and again, maybe one 
of those conversations is actually relevant to what is going on. The rest of it just gives you that feel of what is his relationship with his sister like? And, you know, who was yeah. he before all of this well, happened? And, and again, it's just it's, used so well. And yeah, I don't, I don't think it breaks up the movie. I think it does a great job of filling the movie. It's interesting too, because it's basically one flashback too, yeah. but it's broken up over the, in three separate segments. And the way that that's broken up is really fascinating how it plays into the narrative where, you know, when you first watch those first two scenes, they, they seem incongruous with everything else. Like they seem, they seem like they don't fit into the plot. Like, but once you get to the end of the movie, you have a totally new context for it. And it makes a lot more sense why he would be thinking about those specific moments when he was, um, which I really like. It, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, you're just getting like, when I first saw it, uh, it seems like it's just, like you said, giving you a sense of the relationship, but then you realize there's a lot more going on with the conversation that's being had the farther into the movie that you get. Yeah, and and the flashbacks do play as if they are going chronologically, but honestly, I, I don't know, and I don't think that it matters. Like, even if the mm. flashbacks aren't going in the actual order that they happened um, when they really occurred, I, I don't think that that really matters. If anything, it would almost make more sense if it wasn't going chronological in terms of, you know, like sometimes when uh, when you're thinking back on something, you don't you don't always play it from beginning to end. You might think of one part of right, a memory fractured. Yeah. And then yeah. you're like, Oh, you know what? That reminds me, you know, this other thing happened or like, as you're explaining something like, Oh wait, how did we even get there? And you have to jump back in time to think about what even led up to the memory that you were having. So, so I, I, I think that the flashbacks are chronological, but, but it doesn't matter if they aren't. Um, and, and again, mm. I, <laughs> I'd kind of like to think that maybe they aren't uh, in order, which I need to watch it again to see if I need to watch it again to see if there's anything that would potentially give something away of them not going in order. Probably not, but I want, I want to check that. I never, I, I kind of just assumed it was in chronological order. I don't know. That'd be interesting to go back and, and replay and watch again though. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in terms of technical, uh, I, I do think it's a solid movie. I think that the acting is solid. Uh, it is British, which some people are going to be like, I can't understand it, which I don't understand why people don't understand accents. Um, but it is kind of a quiet movie. Like there's a few scenes of yelling and is there music? I honestly don't remember if there's like any background music going on. Maybe just the stuff that's actually occurring in the scene. I can't remember. Really interesting. I actually, I actually don't remember either. I do know, like, it starts off with this really like beautiful um, kind of hymnal. Kind of, I can't, I can't remember. Like, the, the song that it opens with is really beautiful. And um, damn, but, damn, but I meant once, to go back and look. Once before. it gets into the movie, um, though, like after that remember. opening, after that opening scene, I don't remember any music. There's a part of me that wants to say that there wasn't any music just because it was so tense. And I feel like a lot of times a lack of music can bring even more intensity to a scene, especially whenever it is a scene that is slowly building like the scene, like the two confrontations that Martin has with the hermit and then with Simon 
Um, they are those kind of things where he kind of starts off really friendly and he gets more menacing as it goes along. And, but I mean, honestly, even if there was music, the fact that it like, the fact that it doesn't stand out actually makes it seem like it's even better than it is <laughs> because like you, it, you just feel it rather than like hear it in a way. But I don't know. I don't remember there being a score. Yeah. Like that, that's, um, what you just said about if there was music and we don't remember it, that's actually a better thing. There are some movies where the music is so iconic that if you don't remember the music, it's like, oh, come on. How could you not remember, you know, mm-hmm. like any of John Carpenter's movies? If you were like, oh, there wasn't yeah. any music in there. It's like, what kind of drugs were you taking? Yes, there was. How can you not remember the music? Because the music is so integral to what the movie is. Mm-hmm. But with well, the drove thing, there are some people that like some craft, some like film craftsmen, if you will, like people who are cinematographers or composers, a lot of times, like you'll hear them say, I don't want you to even realize there's music there. I don't want you to pay attention to the scene. I just want you to be absorbed in it. Like, I don't want you to notice the artifice. Of right. it. Uh, I just want you to kind of absorb it. Yeah. And, so. and if there was music in the droving, I think that it's definitely more along those lines of, if there is music it is there to draw you more into the scene and uh and 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 it does like yeah i cannot remember any like oh yeah during this scene there was like this really intense action music because he was fighting people or during the scene he was so sad and so like there were lots of violins and i i don't remember anything and so if there was it was so atmospheric that um that i think that it's probably actually a great thing that you don't remember it if there was there's yeah. a part of me that wants to say that, that now that i'm thinking about it i do sort of remember there being like i do remember thinking that the music was really good so i think there is a score i don't know this is hilarious that we can't even remember <laughs> it's been it's been it's been over like normally i watch these movies right before we record but we ended up having to delay our recording a little bit so it's been like two weeks since I've watched it, so I can't remember. And you've been—it's been like over a month since you've watched it, isn't yeah, it's, it? It's been a while. It's been, been a while. definitely longer than uh, mm-hmm. than you, because <laughs> once again, I was giving you my running commentary when I was watching the movie. Uh, I, I seem to remember thinking, like, to make a note of the composer. Now that I'm thinking about it, Matthew Laming is the is the name of the composer. So there's music in it, but it's it's really good. Apparently, that I do remember, like, just being <laughs> totally. <laughs> <clears throat> caught up in the movie and the moments of it yes and all right so i i don't know if this is just a uh um oh what's the uh, this might just be a mandala effect going on but honest to god and this isn't just me doing the yes i agree with you honest to god as soon as you said yeah i made a mental note to say something about the music that reminded me like yeah I also remember at one point thinking the score is beautiful and I love the music. I should mention that. And so, yeah, there's, there's a bit of irony of, I didn't remember literally any music until you said something about reminding yourself that you enjoyed the music that sparked in me the like, Oh crap. Yeah. I said the same thing. So, um, even though it sounds like we've been rambling about whether or not we can even remember whether or not there was music, (laughs) I think that is actually 
very high praise for the movie that when watching it, the music stood out enough that both of us <laughs> made mental notes to say something we, about how about. beautiful <laughs> the music was. But when trying to think about the overall experience of the movie, the music was so integrated into what we experienced that it didn't set itself apart. It was just part of that larger gestalt of, of the film. So <clears throat> I'm exactly. saying that's I'm glad that we finally, I'm glad that we in the, in our own roundabout way, finally realized <laughs> there was music in the movie. Oh man. It's been a while guys. You have to remember it's been a while since we podcasted too. Okay. It, yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, anything else about it's also the late. It, it is we record much later than what we actually post these episodes uh anything else about the technical um because man i i really want to dive into the emotional and there's a few loose ends from the technical um, that i don't want to talk about till we get to the emotional yeah i think that's pretty much it just daniel oldroyd is fantastic i really hope that he has a big career and i want to see him in more things um yeah, man, it's it's really good. Like it's it, this for for a micro budget kind of movie. I was seriously impressed with it. George Popoff did a fantastic Popoff. I'm assuming. Yeah, it's, it's a V, it. not an F. Did a fantastic job directing. I mean, he really, especially and this is his second feature. I believe the first movie that he made is called Hex, which I haven't seen. Um, but I definitely want to go back and check that one out now. But yeah, definitely just such an assured hand behind the camera. Um, really technically well put together move um, that was again so much more than I expected it to be after seeing <laughs> going into it agreed all right so let's dive into the emotional and uh, I, I feel like we did a all pretty right. good job of not giving too many spoilers during the technical there are going to be so many spoilers in this section. So if you do not want any spoilers uh, about this movie, um, again, we've already said that we think that it's a very solid movie that definitely needs to be checked out. And if you do want to hear some of our final thoughts, jump ahead. I, I don't know. Anywhere between 15 and 45 minutes. I honestly don't know how long we're going to talk <laughs> about the emotional side of things. Um but uh <laughs> yeah um if you want no spoilers whatsoever stop this podcast right now go watch the droving it's on amazon prime and i'll check uh, in just a minute to see where else it is i know that it's available on uh vod but i can't remember if it's available streaming anywhere else i, th I think it's just amazon prime and vod um but uh, yeah, if you want no spoilers, go watch the movie and then come back and dissect this movie with us. If you've already seen The Droving or if you don't care about spoilers, then stick around because we're, we're going to dive into things. So <clears throat> let's go back and, and we're going to jump around in the timeline as well. So uh, we're, <laughs> I'm, I'm literally about to start the emotional with the opening scene of the movie and then go straight to the last scene of the movie. So like, seriously, there is no excuse. If you're like, Oh, spoilers, I've given you plenty of warning, major, 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 major spoilers. All right. So the opening scene, he is standing at the edge of, um, of, of a little, uh, dock staring out across a river, almost as if yes. he is waiting mm -hmm. for a ferry. shot. And he's looking at mm -hmm. his watch almost <laughs> as if time is running out. 
the the opening shot and again maybe i'm reading too much into this maybe it is just me over analyzing things but i i almost feel like it was a very intentional the opening scene is setting you up for that uh that ferryman taking things taking souls to the underworld and i know that in this movie it's the uh the merchant not the ferryman the ferryman ferryman the 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 person who crosses ferryman. the river sticks whatever um but but yeah like it it sort of sets that stage of waiting to to cross the river sticks waiting for the ferry to take you to the underworld and um yeah i did not think about that and and so we started talking about this movie and don't know if it was intentional could have just been a beautiful shot because it is a beautiful shot but man i hope that was intentional i really hope that that's what they were going for with that opening scene yeah, I love. I, I I do feel like there probably is something very intentional about that. Um, I love the way that they use this kind of mythology to to fill out this world and add, give it like a a sense of scope beyond the small personal story that they're telling. This personal kind of revenge story. Uh, I I love movies that have this kind of like um, that are ostensibly set in the real world, but like kind of hint at supernatural things that are going on. And I love, too, that even by the end of the film, like, I feel like it's pretty clear that something supernatural is going on, but it still never really answers one way or the other. Like, it still keeps it very um, ambiguous. Yeah. When you get to that last scene, you, because of everything else, yeah, because um, of everything else. Place ah. it in that, like, just cave location, which is incredible. Yeah. uh, Because of everything that happens by the time. (laughs) Do we laugh we overlapped a little bit uh by the time that you get to that ending scene there's enough to make it clear that yes there is some uh supernatural elements to this but is there like it's one of those things that because of everything that happens and because of what leads up to it you're led to believe that the only logical explanation is that there is a supernatural component and that the um the merchant who delivers souls to or um, not delivers, but who exchanges souls for those who have already been lost, that he is real, but there's nothing mm. that shows that to you. Like you don't actually see people coming back from the dead. You don't get that uh, sort of monkey paw style horror of what would actually happen if someone did return. Like you never actually see what happens. You just see a guy saying words that could be a real guy yeah, very creepily standing in the shadows <laughs> yeah definitely creepy um but but he's just there and and he's just saying things and oh, man that all right so we mentioned uh, a few times during the technical that this is a cult movie without a cult and mm-hmm talking about the merchant is like exactly what we meant with that of there sort of is a cult with the hermit and with Simon, but man, even with that, like the murder, uh, uh, the hermit, it's almost like he believes, but doesn't, you know, like he's not entirely, yeah. he knows that he's responsible for what happened. But even when he's saying, here's what led to, uh, to, to Simon doing this, he was like, I didn't think that he would actually take it seriously. Like even I didn't think that it was real. And, and so there's a very weird sort of like, 
the people who dress up in those dog masks don't actually believe anything. They're just kind of taking a piss at beating people up because, you know, they, they get to um, dress up in masks and be the worst versions of themselves for fun. Like they're yeah. not doing it out of any sort of um, religious conviction or any sort of myth, uh, supernatural element. The hermit believes things, but also only takes it so far. It's more of like, yeah, this is the way that it's it used to be. Him. Yeah. It's more of like, this is the way that the world used to be. Like, it's kind of like how people are like, it's kind of like the whole uh, heritage, not hate argument. <laughs> I don't truly believe in all these things that my ancestors did, but that's still my heritage and I'm proud of it for whatever just, reason. Uh, yeah, I could very, very, very easily go on a side tangent about, um, about all of that. Let me just say fuck racism, fuck racists and systemic racism is real. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that because um, right. <laughs> I don't want us to go too far down that rabbit hole because we are trying to actually talk about the droving. Um, we got to yeah, tear down so, the myths of these of these people as being great men, um, which is something that should have happened in the droving. Otherwise, I mean, like if they had done that, it would have eliminated so many horrible things from happening in this film in a way. Exactly. And so, so yeah, like the cult is there, but it's really only like one person who believes something. And that person is having an impact on, on the rest of the movie. And, and so there is that weird sort of like, even when I was watching it, I went into this movie expecting it again to be a cult movie. I was expecting something like wicker man or hereditary. I was expecting it to be kind of slow, but then when you get to the end, be like, oh, yes, here was this cult that was, um, you know, like shaping everything from the opening scene. But you don't actually get that. And and even when I was watching it, uh, mm. I, I think maybe after I got to the end, at some point, when uh, when you and I were texting back and forth, I was like, I just realized part of what makes cult movies so creepy and terrifying and unsettling it's the fact that it's not like a like a, a giant satanic devil worshiping like um, you know like like mega action movie like cult movies are this is just normal life people are just going through their daily day and they don't think that there would be people engaged in a cult trying to manipulate their every move so then when you get to the end and you realize oh that's what was happening like the um the the discrepancy between real life and cult beliefs are just so drastic that it has that lasting impact like that's why most people when they talk about cult movies they don't typically talk about the movie they talk about the impact of that final scene because of that uh revelation right and you yeah the get, true terror of, of is the way that they're rooted in the mundane like it, in your everyday life exactly the threat is and you don't even realize it exactly and you get that a little bit with the droving but just with one person like it is just one person's belief in something that is then causing this other person to go through so much pain and suffering and and it's just really fascinating that um that George Popoff was able to to get to get that effect. He was able to give you the sense of watching a cult movie without ever needing to go into that much deep mythos into what the cult believes or, you know, there is enough of it to explain what's happening. But 
you don't get the well why are people doing there's this there's no or big why is- expository dump yeah yeah it's just the the merchant deals in souls and if you've lost a loved one you can deliver more souls to him and he will bring back your loved one so essentially kill people and you get someone back and uh, that is where this movie sorry go ahead i've been talking a lot i was just gonna say it's it's kind of fascinating too because um ultimately the uh, so-called villain of the film is really no different than the protagonists. Like they're both people who are completely acting on grief. Yep. They are people who are reaching into the supernatural and in, in a certain, well, as one person is reaching on supernatural to try and bring back a loved one. And the other person knows that he can't bring back a loved one. And then is just doing it purely out of rage. Like, He's just trying to track this person down and, and murder him because he is angry. And he, that's all he knows of life essentially. And yep. the, there, I'm jumping around. I'm, there's one I'm scene around. in particular, ahead, but the ironic thing about that is for one thing, he doesn't recognize himself in the person he has hunted down. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, no, just there's one scene in particular that I think really drives that point home. Uh, and uh, let me pull up the character's name. Um, Tess, I think, was the the like sort of friend, the, the friend of his sisters in that hiking group. <clears throat> Again, major, major, yes. major, 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 major spoilers. If there weren't already enough warnings for that, the scene where you have um, Martin and Simon and Tess in Tess's home. And uh, Martin's like, oh, I need to make sure that it's actually him. And he allows Tess to be in danger, not only be in danger, but like he allows her to have her major spoilers. He allows her to have her slow slow threat. God, I need to go to sleep. He allows her to have her throat slit and like he says here apply pressure he calls 911 and then he just bolts taken out taken uh taken off after yeah the guy. you never you don't know whether or not she her. survives you assume that she doesn't from uh, the guy's comment at the end but at least simon it, okay i don't want to say at least well, simon was doing something on purpose to try to bring back his wife he uh i'm not justifying his actions at all because they are terrible he had a reason for what he was doing. Martin let it happen. Like his motives were just as his actions were just as wrong, even if his motives were different because, and honestly, Martin's right. motives might've been worse because Martin wasn't trying it's to save revenge. a life. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't trying he, to save a life. He wasn't trying to bring he just someone wanted back. to hurt someone. Exactly. He just wanted to torture Simon and he was willing and apparently had like hardly any problem with it whatsoever. Letting people get tortured and potentially even die in that pursuit of finding the person responsible. Yeah. He, he tortured the hermit. He th- well, and you you neglected to mention too the uh, the way that he gets into Tess's home to confront Simon is he threatens her children. Yes, like he talks <laughs> he- about how he's going to like burn them with acid, which is insane. Uh, I mean, like he's not a good guy at all. Yeah, um, the protagonist of this movie that you are watching and like kind of rooting for 
when he starts doing these terrible things, it's just like, wait, am I still supposed to be rooting for this guy? Like, like, cause even in that scene, I wanted him to catch Simon, but at the same time was like, I, this guy's terrible. Like, I don't, I don't know if I want him to win. I kind of want him to, I, I don't, I don't even know what I want. And he is doing such terrible things. And one of the things yeah. that I love about that, like when you watch an action movie and, uh, and the protagonist or the hero is going around killing people, like when you watch uh, mission impossible or the born identity movies or James Bond, so many people die in those movies, but you never like really stop and think about it because you're rooting for the good guy. You never really yeah. think about the terrible things they've done unless like there's a major plot point of highlighting the terrible things that they've done or like a prolonged conversation right. with the villain saying, you're no better than I am. What makes you think that when you kill blah, 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 you're trying to save people. That's all that I'm trying to do by blowing up the moon. I'm trying to, you know, like you get those uh, sort of grandiose explanations of their master plan to point mm. out the fact like you get those conversations you don't get that in the droving. There is not an explanation of this is why you're just as bad, or this is why the mm. bad isn't as bad as it's just the guy that you've been following and rooting for threatening a woman's kids with acid. And it's just well, like, that's messed and up. Not only that, like it really, because of, because of the way that they like make him more and more sinister as the movie goes on. What's interesting is that by the time he catches the man who murdered his sister and he starts strangling him. It is so brutal that like, I felt bad for Simon, the man who killed his sister. Like I literally was like, Oh my God, that's ho- what a horrible way to die. Like it just sounded, it just seems horrible. And then not yep. only that, but like, once he dies, Martin is frustrated because it happened too quickly. It's like, yeah. no, it wasn't brutal enough. Like how dare you die on me like this? Like, like you, you had mentioned this a little bit before we talked, but it was like, how dare you? Like I finally, I've been doing this my whole life. I used to get paid to do this to torture people just for information. And now when I finally have a real reason to do it, a reason that is personal to me, it's over. And I yeah. don't get that satisfaction. That yeah, he's like, it's, so crazy. it's not fair that you're dead. It's not fair that I didn't get to torture you. It's not fair yeah. that I don't get to have my vengeance. And I, I don't know if I, I don't know why, but that ending scene, like when he's going through the whole, it's not fair. And then the conversation that he has with the merchant, it just hit me so, so hard. And I, I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because like, um, you know, with all of these terrible things that are happening, I think about what would I do if if my son was murdered by the cops? You know, what would I do? If, if my son was killed because of uh, a, a hate group, like I, I think about these things and I don't know, you know, I'd like to think that I'm going to be a calm, rational person grieving, but like not do anything extreme and, and cause harm to others. But it's one of those things where when you love someone so much, what is the appropriate response? And, mm. and, and so like when, when you see Martin just grieving for his sister and he's like, no, you, you can't be dead. How am I ever going to find any solace in life? Like, how am I ever, how am I ever going to move past this? And 
And that ties back a little bit to uh, to a sister's line of it's not why you're here. It's what you bring with you. Like that tells you enough about the fact that he already carries trauma. He already is probably dealing with some PTSD. He is already dealing with the yeah. horrors that he has seen in war and, and committed. Oh God. And, and yes, yeah, seen and committed. The violence that was sanctioned for him to, to, inflict on others god this okay so this is why i love talking about movies because i start realizing uh stuff about the movie that i might not have thought about otherwise her comment to him about uh it's not why you're here it's what you bring with you he was already kind of being a little bit of a dick to her boyfriend so he was already inflicting he was basically interrogating him realizing it yeah he was inflicting minor pain you know maybe just bruising ego but he was already, uh, yes, interrogating and, and inflicting some some sort of, again, not physical pain, but a little bit of like taking the ego down a notch, just cause. So like you already see that his way of coping with yeah. stress, his way of coping with, um, with his negative feelings is by doing damage to others physically or mentally or, or emotionally. And, and so, like, it's just such a perfect way to set the stage for the fact that then when he kills a guy, he's like, that wasn't enough. And and so then when he talks to the merchant and the merchant, yeah. I, I don't even remember what the merchant exactly says, but uh, something because Martin's saying, like, no, it's it's not fair. And I don't remember if the merchant says something about actually bringing his sister back or if he says something about, like, balancing yeah, the scales. Basically, I, that's. I, I don't remember what his exact it's comment basically was. He's going to have <clears throat> Martin is going to end up being becoming Simon essentially. Like he's essentially becoming a hitman for the merchant. Yeah, and he's going and, to be delivering souls to the merchant to get her back. Yeah, and so like when uh, when the merchant says, you know, what if I could bring her back? Martin's comment is, "How many?" Like he he yeah, has exactly. no hesitation. He's like, "Yeah, yeah." no hesitation whatsoever in killing people to try to find some sort of release. And it's very, um, it's, it's the, the kind of darkly ironic thing about about this is, is it kind of gets at the kind of endless cyclical nature of violence. It's first of all, Martin becomes the thing that he hated. And not only that, but you get this, that these violent tendencies are, kind of the thing that drove his sister away from him, like why she ended up kind of going away. And then ultimately he is indulging in those violent tendencies that drove her away to try and bring her back. Yep. Um, which is just really fascinating and kind of gets at the, the way that people will have these tendencies, like the way that y- people will often hurt the people that they love and, but, and continue doing the, like they'll have behaviors that hurt the people that they love, but they will continue doing it because they don't know what else to do. Like that's right. just their nature. Well, it's, it's um, like that it's old just, saying hurt people, hurt people, you know, and right, now this, exactly. this is taking it to an extreme of, uh, someone suffering through pain and trauma and loss is then going to inflict more pain and trauma and loss. But, but yeah, like there is, again, there's no hesitation on his side of, but I couldn't do this to someone else. I couldn't put someone else yeah. through the loss that I've been through. It's just like, 
Okay. And, you know, he does say it with like a, a downtrodden and kind of sorrowful, like how many. So maybe there's at least some remorse in it, but there's not hesitation. It, it's just kind of like a. No. Oh, all right. And I just God that again, there there is that sort of cult ish reveal at the end, but not really. And And again, we don't know. If there really is a supernatural element to the merchant or or if he was just some mm. dude standing in a cave weird uh, and heard enough of what Martin said to He's Simon exploiting. Right. Yeah, I I don't know. And and I kind of love the fact that this movie does not make it clear in the same way that with a lot of really great cult movies, you know that the cult is real, but you don't always know whether or not what they worship is you know, like, right. ah, I, okay. Since we're already in spoiler territory, spoilers for a different movie, like with kill list, uh, because you have no yeah, idea that the cult, is, a lot of kill list. you have no idea that the cult and kill list is coming until the very end, but you don't know whether or not there is an actual deity or demon that, that they are worshiping or summoning or whatever. It's just people. And, and I think that we talked about this um, with Graham when, when we uh, did the Kill List episode. Sometimes that's even scarier, where it's not even necessarily, is there a supernatural element driving all of these forces, but the beliefs that people have that then cause them to do sometimes these very horrific actions is so much more terrifying because whether or not there is any sort of supernatural things in real life, people really do have beliefs that drive their actions in sometimes terrible ways. Like when people believe that uh, a global pandemic is a hoax. And so they don't wear a mask. What's wrong with you people wear your masks. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. What were we talking about? <laughs> um, I was just thinking, I was thinking of it more from a religious standpoint with like Christianity and how I struggle so much to reconcile the fact that I'm a Christian and that so much of the things that I believe about justice and equality and empathy and so much of that is derived from my Christian upbringing. However, so many of the people who instilled these values in me do not seem to believe in the same values that I do. And not only that, but they use the same basis for that with Christianity to justify the terrible things that they do or say or believe. And it's, I I don't know, there's just something, something about religion that is beautiful, but also something about it that allows people to feel like they can do whatever they want and then just be forgiven for their sins. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm saved. Therefore what I'm doing is not that bad, or they just used religion as a scapegoat for their bigotry. Yeah. There's a very, and I don't know how much of this, uh, I know a ton of this is just, you know, modern Westernized culture of religion has stopped being about what is good for the masses. And it has turned into what is good for me. So, you know, like that's yeah. why there's a very, like the prosperity gospel, which oh. God, I hate that shit where it's just like, if, if you do this, God's going to give you money. No, he won't. That's, that's stupid. Yeah. Just, just no, you shouldn't be doing things to get more money. You should be using the resources that you have to help those who are less fortunate. If you're doing something to try to get money from Jesus, yeah. you're doing it wrong. 
And so, like, I, I, <laughs> yeah, what was that thing that Jesus said about taking all your possessions and uh, giving them away? Yeah. Take all your possessions and give them to Joel Osteen, and you will then give Joel Osteen more money and that. Charlotte. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, like, so, so like we've mentioned on the podcast numerous times that we're both Christian, uh, like my Christianity is basically summed up in a paraphrasing of Gandhi of, I love your Christ. I hate your Christians where it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, people have stopped following the, uh, like the actual, they've stopped really focusing on what is the purpose of their faith and started focusing more on what is the dogma that is being instilled in us through people exactly. who generally have an agenda uh, and bringing exactly. that back to the droving that sometimes like that. That's part of what makes this so terrifying is not whether or not a merchant really exists that really does deal in souls, but the fact that someone believes that there is and is willing to kill to get what they want. That is mm. what makes this movie so, so terrifying and just, and also to, to think like about the merchant himself, like what is his aim? Like, what is it? Why does he want these souls? Why is he willing to bargain for them? Like what? I, I is think he's his... just trying to make a quota. You know, it's, it's like when you trade up for like, uh, <laughs> You know, I'll, I need I'll give more you this. souls so that way I can I can corrupt more people to give me more souls so that way I can give bring their souls back. It's a, exactly it's like <laughs> that dude who started out with a red paper clip and traded it all the way up to a house. You know, it's like all right, I'll I'll trade That's you supply and demand. And- yeah, I'll give you this one soul if you bring me ten. I'll give you this one soul if you bring me twenty. I I think it's just. He's trying to up his collection by <laughs> trading off the. Hey, and hey, you know what? Ultimately, that's that kind of capitalism. Money is the root of all evil. Thing is uh, <laughs> kind of at the root of a lot of the issues with Christianity today. Just, just a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. The it's, we it's we mentioned fun. a few times that this movie is a horror movie, but you don't get any of that horror watching it. It really is in that last scene that it drives home the fact that this is a horror movie that was hiding under the surface, you know, like sure. There's not a boogeyman and there's not really any graphic violence. Like you do see um, Simon get choked and you do see Tess uh, get her throat slit and you do see some violence, but it's mm-hmm. nowhere near the levels that you see in, uh, in other movies, you know, like <laughs> it's nowhere near the it's levels that you're going to see in hereditary. It's definitely impactful though. Yeah. And, and and like most great horror movies it's not what you see so much as what what you're seeing represents and and so it's not that you are seeing horrific things happening but when you get to the end and you have that understanding of why these people are doing what they're doing that is what makes it so horrific and and like mm-hmm. it even ties in with those uh, dudes in the animal masks where it's like they don't actually believe it, but they're just beating people up for the fun of it. They're exploiting and, it. Yeah. yeah. And like, how is that a fine justification? It's like, oh, we don't actually believe it. We just like to beat people up. I, I, I'm confused. Why is that? Oh, n- never mind. I'm not confused because I see that all the time. <laughs> just uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm really trying to not get too deep into social commentary because I, I know that I'll go too far on tangents. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, so like you, yeah. so you, that's what we do. Exactly. 
but I'm also trying to keep an eye on the time. Uh, so like you get that wide array of oh, yeah. regardless of why people are doing what they're doing. You have some people who are doing it just because they're having quote unquote fun. You have some people who are doing things because it's the way that it used to be and things have lost their meanings, but maybe they don't fully believe everything about it. And then you have the people who believe and then you have the people who don't want to believe I just this movie even though it does get straight to the point, I also think that there's a lot of layers that the more that you watch it, the more that you Mm. talk about it, the more that you dive into it, you can really start peeling those back and be like, Oh man, this is a lot more complex movie than it might seem uh, on the surface or, or on initial viewing. And yeah, this, yeah, I I don't know about you, but I'm having a great time talking about this. one. Oh yeah, absolutely. I love it. I also love to um, the title of the, the the. I love the fact that the movie is called The Droving, and you think that it centers around this festival called The Droving, um, but that ultimately is kind of a red herring. I mean, I mentioned it kind of fills out the world and gives it you know a history and it and it is a real festival. Um, but what's interesting about it is that the festival might be a red herring, but the title is not because. A droving is essentially is essentially whenever you are whenever a person is driving uh, livestock long distances to the market for slaughter. Right. Think of like if you think of city slickers. Like that's what they're doing. They're doing a droving. No, it might be a mock droving of moving the cattle uh, from the cattle ranch to to the slaughterhouse. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that. That essentially is is a droving is moving your cattle herd from the ranch to the slaughterhouse, mm-hmm. and and yeah, and and that is what Simon is doing, and ultimately what Martin ends up doing in the end is like he is going to start his own droving. Um, I don't know, it's fascinating. I love the way that they kind of made that come full circle in a yeah in a way that you don't expect, and that's something that again, kind of bringing it back to the um to the poster that's one of the things that i actually love about the poster is it the the dude in the wolf's clothing and the festival yeah there is a guy dressed up as a wolf and there is a festival where you see uh, at least some of what you see on the poster but like both of those are passing scenes that are not integral to the story except for the fact that both of what you are seeing on the poster are representative of what is actually happening. So, you know, like Martin mm-hmm. is the, the wolf. He is the predator who is, uh, well, see now, I don't know if he is supposed to be like a sheepdog protecting the herd or the wolf who is attacking the herd that the drovers are protecting their herd against, but either way it works. Like, like I think he's a, he, he's, he thinks that he is a shepherd, but ultimately he is a wolf. Like he, he yeah. I mean, cause initially his quest was to find his sister and bring her home. And then once he finds out that she's dead, it becomes now I'm the wolf. Now I'm transforming into the, into the big, bad wolf essentially. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I love the fact that the poster again, it for most people might just be, Oh yeah, that kind of looks kind of cool. But I, I think that there was a much more intentional use of the dude in the wolf mask and the festival, which, like you said, it's a red herring, but only because it's red herring itself away from itself. 
uh, like the festival is the entire, not the, the festival itself, but what the festival represents is the entire meaning of why the people are doing what they're doing. So, right. I, I, yeah, I, I think the poster is actually a better representation of what it's trying to do than what it might seem uh, at initial glance. But yeah. again, I also have a tendency to overanalyze everything. Uh, I, I'm trying to think if there's any other major pieces of the emotional side. Uh, we did kind of mention this is more of just a, hey, this is fun. Uh, we already mentioned that fight scene where it's that realistic sound effects of someone actually getting hit. Mm-hmm. I love the way that that was shot partially because it reminded me a lot of fingers with the opening scene with Jeremy Gardner dancing in front of the headlights. Yeah. So <laughs> part of the reason I loved it is, it is very I, similar the way it's lit. I just, I love Jeremy Gardner. I love Juan Ortiz. I love fingers. I, and so anything that's going to remind me of that movie, uh, <laughs> instantly it kind of brings things up a few notches but also yeah like oh man that reminds me there's there's an incredible shot in that in that scene where he martin is pretending to be asleep in his car and you see the the guy in the wolf mask walk into frame but he's out of focus like it's it's a kind of shallow focus and it is super creepy to the frame he starts coming into focus and it's just like the kind of barely seeing him in the distance is a extremely creepy shot that like really stuck with me. I, I, that that's an incredible shot. I love that one in particular. Well, and that entire fight scene, once again, keeping things real, you don't have like stuff uh, really well lit. You don't have the, yeah, it's at night, but you can still see things perfectly. Like in some fight scenes in some movies, like this feels like a, you don't, you're not supposed to see everything because this is what the people actually going through this are actually seeing. And it's just that this movie does a fantastic job of bringing you into the realism of, uh, of what you're experiencing without making it feel too over the top and without making it feel too outlandish. And yeah. yeah. So, so even in those little scenes, like the fight scene, which sure it's a fun fight scene, but it's also, it, it is also a very good example of, um, this movie taking things realistically rather than trying to give an over the top action sequence, which, which I appreciate. So, yeah, <sighs> I don't know if I have more words about this movie. It's good stuff. Like I, I, I could probably <laughs> say more, <laughs> But it's probably just going to be like reiterating things that we've already said. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any other scenes that I especially wanted to highlight. Um, I don't. I don't think so. I think that pretty well covers it. I think so. Yeah, I've, I'm running out of out of steam in general anyway. But yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. good movie. I'm really glad I didn't took a chance on it. I hate that I'm so snobby sometimes about movies where I'm like, oh, Lily's dumb. And then I watch it and it's like, oh yeah, that's a great movie. I'm glad that I actually did take a chance on it. Whereas I watch almost every movie with the, it's fine. You know, as, as long as I don't actively hate it, I'm going to enjoy it. So I'm, I am way more open to cinematic experiences <laughs> than you are. Um, which, you know, it's, it's fine. It also means that I watch a lot more movies that aren't great. Mm. And there's some great movies that I've not seen. Anywho, um, I, I, think, uh, I just have a lot of anxiety about all the movies that I haven't seen. 
do you you realize that like all the classic you, you, you know, realize as we're saying movies. this i'm literally looking at thousands of movies that i own that i've never seen so <laughs> yeah. yeah um all right how rewatchable do you think the droving is i think it's pretty rewatchable i mean like i'm actually i've been sitting here thinking like man i really want to rewatch it and dig into some of these scenes a little bit more um it's also one of those movies too, where it has a lot of like, as a few different moments where people are telling stories that are seemingly unrelated to the plot, um, but obviously aren't. Um, and I, I'm kind of curious, like now that I've seen the full picture, to go back and like pick up on some of those little details, like like you mentioned with him at the dock in the beginning, and and just kind of like seeing how some of those things, like the flashbacks and the stories that they tell throughout the film how much more they play into the plot than I realized at the time. And also it's really, really short. And like I said, it's got, it's like a few memorable scenes that are really tense and engaging. And uh, yeah, I think that I would be more, I mean, I'd be more than willing to rewatch this movie right now. Yeah. Honestly. I, I saw it. I, I don't remember how recently I saw it not too long ago. And um, I turned the movie on it in the background as I was getting uh, the equipment set up for tonight. And like, as it was going, I was like, um, I wonder if Eric would be cool with postponing like another hour so I can watch this movie. So like <laughs> I, I almost was rewatching it um, tonight. So yeah, I, I think that it's super rewatchable um, for all those reasons that you just mentioned in terms of because there is a lot more depth than what it might seem uh, with initial viewing. I do want to go back and see uh, is there even more that I missed or uh, are there things that maybe I thought about afterwards that are going to be even more prominent with a rewatch? I'm also really curious to see if it holds up on a rewatch. Like, yeah, it's it's quick and I already know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. And because it does get to the point, there's not as much mystery in this. So so I feel like it is going to hold up pretty well um, because it's not like some movies. Uh, well, like one of the ones that we were talking about on, on a recent episode. Well, on the last one about butterfly kisses where you were talking about Blair Witch Project, where it's like after you've seen yeah. it on a rewatch, it just eh, it's not the same experience. Because there's not mm-hmm. as much of a mystery with the droving, because it is pretty much like, here's what you need to know. Here's the story. You can enjoy it with just those basic facts. I feel like it's going to be just as enjoyable on a rewatch um, because there's not going to be as much of that. Like, wait, what sort of scenes? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious about that, though. Yeah, I'm curious if it will, but I think it will. I think it's going to hold up. I think it's going to be a, um, a movie that is very easily rewatchable. Again, it's 80 minutes, so that's what? That's four episodes of a TV show without commercials, and most people sitting down just like, I don't know what to watch, and they just turn on a TV show. They're probably going to watch three or four episodes, so anyone mm. who doesn't know what to watch, you can very easily get through the droving. Um it's uh yeah it, it might not be one that i rewatch immediately just in terms of tone even though i did almost rewatch it tonight because especially the ending does get so just emotionally draining i, I don't know if it's going to be one that i'm going to watch when i want something happy but it does yeah, yeah it's <laughs> definitely not yeah it's definitely not a very uh happy no uh, it, 
interesting kind of movie. But it does have beautiful scenery. It, I, I think, is a um, sort of a darkly beautiful movie. And yeah, it, it's one that I could very easily see myself watching, you know, a couple of times a year, which with, with as many movies as there are out there that I should be watching, I feel like watching the same movie two or three times in a year. It, I, I think that's pretty high praise. But again, what what do I know? It's not like I watch movies more than I should. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, I think it's rewatchable. All right. For sure. Who do you recommend this movie for? Uh, so we talked about Kill List. So I think yes. if you enjoy a movie like Kill List, um, the Ben Wheatley movie, then you would definitely dig this movie. Um, I also think that it shares a bit of a kinship with the Benson and Moorhead films. Um just because it is kind of a lower budget film that's very analytical and like their films are a little bit more kind of like, you know, sort of real world, but with hints of like sci-fi concepts in it. And this is kind of more of a mythological folklore kind of version of what Benson Moorhead tried to do in their films. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I think that's, I think if you like, yeah, especially, um, yeah, I think if you like, Ah, we keep doing it. <laughs> I was gonna say, Stupid. especially the delay. endless. Um, I, I think that yeah. I think that that the endless would probably pair really well with this one. Um, not necessarily sure. in like exact plot, but with similar tones and and feels. Um, I honestly, and this is gonna sound weird, and I don't remember if I mentioned this to you before we uh, started recording. Honestly, I would say that if you enjoyed The Crest, the uh, documentary by Mark Christopher Cavino, that you would probably enjoy The Droving. They are drastically different in tone because The Crest is it's about funny you say two, that because you, yeah. <laughs> well, The Crest is about two long lost, well, not even long lost. It's about two cousins who didn't even know that they were related, who then like go on a journey back to Ireland to discover their family heritage. And it is just a a beautiful documentary. I love the music and I love the atmosphere and I love the setting. And that's where the connection is. The opening shots of the droving reminded me a lot of the, uh, the scenes that, um, that are in the crest or even the, the scene with the hermit where there's just like that tiny little hut it actually reminded me of the scene where um, in, in the crest where like they go to just some old ancestral building and like, it's just really, really tiny and run down and, and I don't know. It just had some similarities because of the setting of like a, um, uh, like a Northern Ireland's islands inlet sort of feel. Well, it is the, in the crest it is about them trying to get in touch with their heritage too. Like you said, and like it gets into a lot of that kind of like, old timey old world kind of storytelling in a way, which is, it's, it's very interesting. Like I feel like there was a certain part of me that kind of recognized this movie had a kinship with the crest just in terms of the look. Um, but even thematically to a certain degree, there is some, some element of that. And, and like it's, it's drastically different. It's like the happy, it's the happier version of, of, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> uplifting now, version. the crest is uplifting and, uh, that's, yeah like okay so here's kind of uh here's kind of like why those movies appeared for me at least when i was watching the droving the crest felt like an immediate choice of if i was really sad at the end of the droving and wanted to sit to stay roughly in the same feel 
but something a lot more uplifting like to me there would be no other choice than the crest in terms of like here's this really dark feel now we're going to say in the same environment but you're going to be happy by the end of it um so yeah it, it is purely a visual connection in terms of tone this might not be the best example um and, and but in tone it actually reminded me a lot of Broadchurch uh that BBC miniseries so there's a lot more money in the BBC miniseries so it's a lot uh I don't even want to say a lot higher produced it is a much larger cast and so uh there are some things about it that have a a more complex feel just because you're dealing with more people um but uh but yeah in in terms of just that general kind of dour sad mood um yeah if you enjoyed Broadchurch, then i think that you would really enjoy the droving i've also i've seen a lot of people compare this to um a movie called dead man's shoes which has a very similar plot um i think it's probably similar in tone i haven't actually seen dead man's shoes i really want to it's got uh, patty considine in it um who's in like a lot of edgar wright's movies and stuff Mm. um but yeah, that's if if you've seen Dead Man's Shoes, apparently you'll probably like the droving one. <laughs> I, I felt like there was another one. Um I felt like there was another one, but I can't oh no no now I remember. Um this is also drastically different in tone, and so this is in no way trying to say that uh these movies would be replacements for each other. But I would also say that fans of the fair would enjoy the droving the fear being that it's it's not really a romantic comedy so much as a romantic i, I don't even know what genre to put it in it is a romantic tragedy i guess is the uh, best way to put it um but yeah because of that sort of small cast and because of some of the central themes <clears throat> I, I do feel like there's at least some connection between the the fear and the droving again not exactly the same but i'd say close enough in feel um yeah i i can definitely see that actually yeah i think that would be for an interesting pairing <laughs> this is a very interesting lineup of movies with uh <laughs> with benson and moorhead films and uh the crest and the fear and the droving that's it's gonna be a weird day of movies but uh sounds sounds like chat film fest <laughs> no, honestly it does. Film fest movies. I, I was thinking when i was watching this that uh that this would be one that would fit in with chat film fest hell it even reminded me a little bit of um um the wanting mayor again yeah. in just sort of general feel and like you get a sense that there's a much larger world at play even though you don't have to see all of it and when I was uh, trying to describe like kind of the mythological uh, aspects of this movie in my head, I was like, don't repeat the same things that you said about the wanting bear. <laughs> we have a lot of that same kind of thing where it's like more about like using, uh, using some of those more like supernatural kind of elements to fill in the world rather than like put them in the, in the foreground. Exactly. The wanting mirror was a fantasy movie without the fantasy and the droving is a cult movie without the cult and if you've seen either of those movies then you know exactly what i'm talking about if you've not hopefully our very long ramblings about the droving will uh, help it make sense uh 
Yeah, I, I think that's pretty a, a pretty comprehensive list of if you enjoy any of those movies where they're not slow in the sense of being boring, but they are much more intentional with their character study where you are focusing so much more on uh, on, on what's happening with the characters, what they're going through and how they're coping with things rather than with the events that are going on around them. And and I think that that's also a, a pretty big driving theme with all of it. I mean, even with the crest, like, yeah, there is a plot to the documentary, but it really is just how are these two cousins, you know, coping with learning more about their history. <clears throat> any positive way they're not learning terrible things about their ancestry they're actually learning something bright and positive and happy sort of sad story that has a happy ending i don't know it's it's a great documentary um yeah all right i think i think that's about it i think yeah yeah i'm uh we're we're both pretty fast i'm ready for the the ferryman to take me across the river sticks to the (laughs) underworld of Shut I. <laughs> that, was the, that was terrible, but you know <laughs> that that <coughs> that was horrible. Perfectly illustrates how tired I am that my metaphors don't really make a damn bit of sense. But exactly, you you should have gone with. Um, I'm not hoping to see the merchant, but I'm sure ready to see the Sandman. That that would imply <laughs> that you're just going to sleep that's not, that's, rather that's than going to die overnight. So that's yeah, better. All right. Eric, where do you want people to find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Chimerican. Uh, that's T H E C H I M E R I C A N. You can follow me on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterbox at Eric J A Y. And you can follow me at slash the podcast. Not saying that I am the podcast, but. Uh, just that this is where I do all of my podcast related social media. So you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or letterboxd at video monster pod, uh, or you can follow me on letterboxd at the gargoyle. Uh, and if you enjoyed this episode, please keep coming back. Uh, our next episode is going to continue our year long theme of working through the history of cinema. And next up we have the sixties in which Eric will have watched two movies and I will have watched <laughs> more than two. Not quite <laughs> so far. I've not hit triple digits on any of our decades episodes. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the sixties and hopefully that'll be interesting because you know there there wasn't anything of major importance going on during the 60s and certainly nothing relevant to where we are currently in our current world of you know space travel and racial injustice (laughs) and nothing weird going on at all not no similarities pretty sure pretty sure the 60s were just a bunch of hippies uh having sex and smoking weed like nothing else happened yeah, nothing. No, no Just major. People hanging out, having a good time. Yeah, you know, not worrying about global pandemics. Um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> we should stop. All right. So yes, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please keep coming back. No, not a care in the world. <laughs> You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for Video Monsters. Um, and and if you really enjoyed us, then please leave comments, leave feedback, leave some ratings. Let us know that you like what you hear. And um, 
yeah after we do our 60s episode we do have other themes lined up but we've also already had a lot of themes lined up this year that we've had to either postpone or uh just call audibles on to make um complete changes and currently we even already had to make a uh, a change for july um we 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 were going to do should should we say what we were going to do or should we just save that until we eventually get around to it or just save it until we eventually get around to it we changed the theme that we originally had planned and we'll say, yeah. the new theme for july is july because we're gonna be focusing on joel schumacher films because he very recently passed um so yeah that that'll be fun we get to talk about bat nipples I'm really looking forward to it, man. Joel Schumacher is a guy that I, especially like once I heard that he passed, it was like, oh, I really love him and his movies a lot more than I realized. Um, so I'm excited to kind of dig back into some of those, some of his filmography and kind of uh, reckon with those feelings that I had with him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I did not hate his Batman movies. I, I thought that they were silly. And I don't they either. Were, Honestly, they certainly were like, yeah, well, they, they I enjoy were, them a lot. They were doing what the, uh, the 60s era Batman did. They were having fun with it. They were going back to the campy style rather than the serious. And it's just exactly. people weren't expecting that. So it's not that they were bad movies. It's just that they were unexpected. Um, yeah. So, so after our 60s, we're going to do july which it still doesn't sound right we're, we're going to focus our month of july on joel schumacher um again find us wherever you get your podcasts stitcher itunes spotify google play other places i don't know where all it's found just search the main ones and you'll find us all right <laughs> This, it's great when we podcast I about the podcast i just talk into it <laughs> like what is this podcast <clears throat> all right that's been it for this episode of video monsters i'm nathan and i'm going to bed and remember kids um even if you have experienced like pain and trauma Try not to then inflict pain and trauma on other people. You know, don't don't work for the merchant. Um, and wear your masks. Seriously, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Have some common decency. And, you know, stop working for the merchant because that's the people who don't wear masks are not as bad. They're not as bad as Martin, but um I mean, they're not as good. Do you think good. it's socially acceptable to wear Halloween masks? I mean, that's technically a mask. It's going to keep the germs out and in. Will it? I, mean, I, I guess it would. I, I don't know. Like, if I go to work tomorrow, if I go to work tomorrow in, like, a Jason mask, are they, well, I guess not a Jason mask because he's got, like, the little vent in front of his if mouth. If you were wearing so a werewolf work. mask... Um, like it does have those holes that you breathe through, so it's not going to work as well, but I, I seriously want to know what would happen if someone wore a Halloween mask and say, it's the only mask that I have. I, I, this is the best I can do. Oh, you could be like the, 
You can do like a ghost face mask from Scream because it's got like it. It basically is clawed there in the mouth. It's not like vented. That well, would work. I, or I like those know. masks where they look black on the outside, or and but from the inside you can see out of them. Yeah, I, I don't know why people aren't just dressing out? up. Yeah, um, the the ones that to give the appearance of like emptiness and void is just black cloth. Yeah. Um, I don't know why more people aren't just cosplaying as Mortal Kombat characters with all of them, yeah. you know, like Scorpion and Sub-Zero uh, okay. and... So we're uh, going to have to cancel Halloween this year. Don't don't say that. <laughs> yeah. It's true, but I don't want to think about that yet. Just, I, I like my holidays. See, we can just make Halloween all year long. I mean, I already do, so... Uh, it's not going to be that much difference for me. Uh, yes, so... <laughs> Please wear your masks. Please be respectful of others and stop spreading diseases. And also, you know, stand up against things that are wrong. Stand up for social injustice. Stand no, stand up against social injustice. God, I'm tired. <clears throat> stand up for things that are right. <laughs> stand against racism and do your part to help the betterment of society rather than living selfishly all right that's that's good right that's that's a good way to end things after we talked about the droving it's beautiful absolutely i i concur i agree with everything that you said uh with, yeah with, with everything that i've said in, in that case let me go ahead and throw this in uh roland emmerich is a genius and one of the greatest movie directors of all time there <clears throat> now that still applies to everything that you agree with right good taking that silence as yes all right <laughs> come back soon bye man are we gonna are, are we gonna have to do a roland emmerich what do you mean have to we we get to do a roland emmerich series, series. I'm, i've been saying um, that since i started rewatching his movies so weird you just randomly start rewatching Roland Emmerich movies. Well, I got like who what? does that? Me.